we're looking forward to it. And um, kind of Phil made reference to a couple of conversations we'd had in the week. And we both feel, and I guess please, please pray for us uh, as we come to preach. And uh, Phil was saying this morning, it's such an amazing bit of text, Hebrews 1, uh, that you kind of think, I don't want to detract from it in any way. It's really quite hard to add to it, but you did a great job this morning, Phil. But in preaching, and particularly in, in every preach, really, but in, in, the, uh, in, in working through Hebrews, we really want to, as it, the Hebrew writer says, consider Jesus, fix your eyes upon him, uh, deepen your faith in him, because he, he brings into sharp relief everything that we go through in life. It, he, he says, come back to Jesus. Uh, he is the, the fount of, of everything. And uh, we're looking forward to that. And we pray that we'd preach this well and helpfully and creatively and uh, to help uh, us all understand and know and love Jesus far more. And uh, as I said to Phil, I, I've chosen a verse from uh, the, the passage that he preached this morning, not because I'm trying to correct what he said, uh, <laughs> far from it. <laughs> Uh, actually, because uh, in this evening in communion and our first Sunday back uh, in the building, not a massive break, but um, just felt it would be really helpful, just a few thoughts in and around this verse, uh, just to add to and uh, complement what Phil shared this morning. I'm going to read the, the, the whole of the passage, um, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, but focusing particularly on verse 3. So uh, Alan's just gathering that together. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. If you want to find it in your Bible that you have to hand, uh, I'm reading from the NIV. There we go. Thank you. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. I'm picking up from verse 4 next week, so I don't want to uh, spoil, give you spoilers about angels and name. That's next Sunday morning. Woo uh, it's an amazing little opening, uh, and as Phil was rightly saying, it, it's, like a, a, it's like a sermon unfolding. It's brilliant. And in many ways, what he is explaining in these first opening verses is a bit like an overture in a symphony. It's, it's got the themes uh, and the, the kind of the sense of where he's going to develop. And in many ways, this focus around the table uh, tonight of uh, after he'd provided purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, does come up as a major theme about him being the high priest and the sacrifice made once and for all. And he's the, in the order of Melchizedek, we'll get there at uh, some point in the morning. And uh, it is that he is a high priest who has, can, he was, who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he has compassion upon us in our weakness. And yet this sacrifice that he made of himself is full and final and, and that the old order, the law, it was but a shadow and has now become obsolete. All of that will get developed. 
But today, this evening as we gather at the table, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he'd provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. At this table, as we come to this table, we worship and recognize Jesus, who took the bread and the wine and said, this is my body which is broken for you. This is the cup of the new covenant. This represents my blood poured out. As he gathered in at the Passover with his friends in the, in the room and said, I share this meal with you. You're welcome. And even in these verses, there's, th- there's, there's, there's some wonderful things. So as Phil rightly said this morning, God spoke in various ways. I mean, that's amazing, isn't it? God speaks in various ways to our ancestors the pro- and via the prophets, but now through the Son, he speaks. And there's this lovely sense uh, right at the beginning of, of this passage of the, of the kind of the, the, the way that, so, that all of the Old Testament focuses in on Jesus, that, that he is the kind of the central fulcrum, the point uh, of the, all of that has gone before, narrowing in, focusing, becoming concentrated, expressed fully in Jesus. Think about the three main characters in the Old Testament. Lots of them, but they have three kind of roles. There's always the prophet, isn't there? There's always someone who comes and says, this is what God would say to you, the revelation that God would say. There's always the priest, isn't there? Uh, The one who would uh, intercede, who would stand between the people and God in order to represent the people to God, but also of God to the people and would deal with putting things right. Dealing with breakdown of relationship, of, of how to how to come back to our holy God when we've become so marred and messed up, the priest. But also the figure of the king. Just in these opening verses, these three wonderful roles of the Old Testament found and expressed in Jesus. As the prophet, he is the one who has come the word to communicate. Not just a word, the word. Who comes and is sent from God. And we do well to heed his voice and hear what he says in the scripture as we read them and as I preach them and others do. And as we retell this story with words of Jesus. The challenge of this is for each one of us is to say whose words do we really believe and trust? Our internal voices. Surely not me. We, accent, we, we absent ourselves. Or we say this doesn't apply to me or, or God, well that means something to someone else but not to me. Do we trust Jesus who is the word of God, who speaks, the prophet, the true, the greatest, the revealer. But also, in these uh, verses, we, we, we discover the Son being the radiance of God's glory, sustaining all things through his powerful word. His word is powerful. 
not just flapping lips. It's powerful word. He sustains the universe. It says then he sat down after he'd provided purification for sins. It was the priest who would bring the sacrifice and make sacrifice. And as the book of Hebrews will underline, but here at this table tonight, that through Jesus, through what he has done, we may draw near to God and that he draws close to us. And as the king, notice these words, the majesty. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven on the throne, the kingly office. So that in these moments, as, as the Hebrew writer begins this wonderful letter, we rejoice in this royal victory over sin and over death and over Satan, the fulfillment of all that has gone before. It says it, it is done. He is reigning and ruling. He has good things to say to us, words of truth that are powerful and sustaining. He is able to set us free, to declare us forgiven, to make us at peace with God, to right the wrongs entirely. And he is the one who is reigning and ruling and alive. Isn't this amazing, the wonderful contrast even in this verse? That he continually upholds the universe by the word of his power continuously, even now, we are sustained by his word, by the power of what he has determined should be. There's nothing beyond that. There is no uh, source of otherness, no other God, even Satan himself, the, the devil, the accuser, the liar, has no comparative power. To him. But the wonderful contrast, he is upholding, sustaining the, the, the universe. But when he gave himself up on the cross, when he made purification for sins, that in this moment in history, he said, This is once and for all. At that single moment, datable and traceable and established in that far part of the east end of the Mediterranean, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, crucified under Pontius Pilate, made satisfaction for sins. He became our atonement, our substitute, and all sin dealt with once and for all in that moment of history. It is finished. You know that so many, so many times through the page of the Old Testament, this story of, uh, of the repeated offerings of coming back again and again to make sacrifice. Um, I was reading a, a book about, about this not so long ago, and, and uh, someone who used to teach about the atonement of this, he used to go into all sorts of detail, plug your ears if you don't like blood and gore, um, 
But there was a lot of blood and gore running at the temple. There was a lot of death. There was a lot of, 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 of things brought genuinely because the recognition that the things weren't right. The people had fallen out with each other. There was sickness and death and disease. There was, they would fail God and it meant that again and again they would bring an animal or an offering. Uh, maybe a bull or a cow or a sheep or a goat or a pigeon or, or something or other in order to make it right. I mean, the priests had an amazing job because they got to, to be close to God in the holy place. But goodness me, it was a place of death too. Once and for all, Jesus said, an end to that because it is a shadow and now Jesus has come. In the days that most of us can remember, sorry, young people over here, in the days before dishwashers, I'm just straddled this. I remember trying to persuade my parents to buy a dishwasher uh, because we had the task of um, uh, washing up after a meal. Ah, oh, chores. And I remember that beautiful time where occasionally we'd go out for a meal or on a holiday if we were lucky enough once or twice in, in my growing up to go to a hotel, you know, like have a proper holiday in a hotel. It was amazing because of all these things like room service and you don't have to make your bed and you come back and it's all made. But it was the thing about washing up that really stuck with me. Do you know what I mean? It's like every day, whenever you eat, you'd have all that stuff to wash up in the sink. And you'd like, you know, with your fairy liquid and, you know, because that was what we were told, hands that do dishes, all that stuff. But it was a real chore, but you just had to do it. Got to the student land and you thought, I don't have to wash up anymore. And you just had a pile of dirty plates that were, that were growing moulds. But it was one of those things that you had to do. It was like day in, day out, washing up. Boring but needed to be done. And then along came dishwashers. Yay. My point, in terms of sacrifice of so much more, this was just a feature, a holy thing, a profound thing, a recognition that this was oh so needed. But my goodness, it went on and on and on and on and on and on. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down. The law up to this point had said, do this, do this. It's necessary, do this, and demanded again and again to be done, to work at it continually, annually, monthly, weekly. But Jesus came and through his death, in the purification for sins through his death, his message changes from do this, do this, do this, to trust this. Trust this. It is finished. It is complete. Once and for all. Hallelujah. I love it. He sat down. At the end of the day, you sat, sit down, don't you go, and you put your feet and it's done. Don't need to work at that anymore. He sat down in the majesty in heaven. 
No longer needing continual repetition. No longer partial. And wondering, is it enough? Was my attitude right? Was it perfect enough? Oh gosh, I've blown it again. I've got to come back again. Because I know the time is limited. But Jesus offers himself for all times, for all people, once and for all. And I know this is really hard to grasp. When we have the privilege of baptismal preparation, and I talk about, or we talk about how uh, it, through the death of Jesus, uh, one of the motives has been washed clean, purified. All of our sin is dealt with, and, and we can get it now, and we can get it about the past, but we really struggle with about the future, don't we? I can see that I'm washed clean now, but what happens if I blow it tomorrow? What happens if I, if, if I really mess up and I've made this great confession of faith, I've been baptized, what about then? Once and for all. It's not good news ticket now and then you're on your own, thanks very much. You know, if you blow it again, sorry, case closed. Once and for all, he has made purification for sins. We are purified, washed clean, metaphorically given garments of white, unblemished. Even when we walk through a dirty world, once for all. Do you know that you're forgiven? Fully, not half. Do you know? Trust this. Do you know you're at peace with God? He, he loves you. You know that, but he loves you. His favor is towards us. We can approach a holy God with complete confidence. Not because we've earned it, but because Jesus has made the way. Astonishingly wonderful. It's permanent. He sat down and he leads us into the very presence of God. This meal, this table, these elements, some pieces of bread and, and a cup, they are remembrance, absolutely. We remember Jesus. Without him, we wouldn't be here. But there's something more about it. We use this strange word called sacrament. Uh, and it, it kind of means the ongoing grace and power and the ability of God into the present that his grace is made real, afresh, in wonderful measure. That we talk about this as a remembrance people. Yes, it is, but it's not just like remembering back to some date in history and going, okay, that was 1066 or AD 33, and we remember the upper room. When Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you, this is my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins, absolutely we think of the cross. We remember the cross. How could we not? But also, it's a means of 
the grace of what he accomplished in that moment of dying, of breathing his last, of being raised to life, of saying purification for sins has been made. It is true now as it was when we first believed it will be true tomorrow because his grace is still at work with us. Feed on him now. Meet with him afresh. In your weakness, in your trembling, in your uncertainty. Trust this. Not that these are magic elements. But they are the signs of what he accomplished. And the means through which his grace comes afresh. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us doesn't have to sacrifice himself again. But he says, you are forgiven. You've stumbled and messed up again. I know, and you are forgiven because I died for you on the cross. You are made complete again in me because I died for you. That his word says to us because he sustains all things through his word. His words are truth and we hear them and embrace them and say, yes. They're words of life. And we gather with the king of the universe. Welcome to this table. Let's pray.